This is Ken Root, and I love to talk to a wide range of people, people in the know or How's the Bite, the two podcasts that I produce, uh, have had a lot of interesting guests on them, but I think that the man on with me right now might be equal to any of them. His name is Captain Dustin Smith, and he is from coastal Florida, east coast area around Canaveral, as I understand it. And he is a professional shark fisherman, but the goal of his fishing is to tag and release, and you are the ones who catch them. So, Captain Dustin, uh, how are you today? Oh, good morning, Ken. Thanks for having me. Is the weather a little chilly now here in December that may keep you off the beach? Not necessarily. It's uh, if the clients want to go out in the cold. Some do, some don't. I loved the presentation that I saw you do the other night, and uh, I think the one thing you said early was, I don't have a boat. How can you be a captain if you don't have a boat? You can still get a captain's license. I've got all the required hours on a boat. You don't have to own one to get your captain's license through the United States Coast Guard. Well, if you've got your captain's license, why shouldn't you have a boat? Well, I also have a business degree, too, and I learned a lot. Um, I have less overhead with the way I do things. So tell me how you do things. I am a land-based shark fisherman. I do not have the overhead of a boat, boat maintenance, boat storage, boat payments, any of that. We do everything from the beach. People in the Know is sponsored by Concept by Iowa Hearing. I've worn their hearing instruments for almost 20 years. Concept by Iowa Hearing, committed to helping you hear better. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. How do you set it up to have people? Do you have a certain number of people for a certain number of hours, just like you would have when you go out on a cruise? Similar, yes. We normally take up to four people. We provide all the gear, the tackle, the chairs, bottled water, and it's a five-hour charter. We do all the work. We bait. We cast. When the shark gets on, that's when they have to go to work. Okay. All right. So it's similar to a boat, and you are surf casting. Tell me what kind of equipment you use. Okay. All of the reels that we use are made by Canyon Reels, which is out of Bricktown, New Jersey. Uh, the ones we use for sharks, the spinning reels, are the Canyon 10,000 model. And they have, uh, they're rated at 77, but I've tested it, and I've got 100 pounds of drag on it. So I don't have any problems stopping and bringing in a 10-foot shark. How far can you throw with your long surf rod? Uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 yards, depending on the surf and the wind. So in doing so, does that put it in what you consider an ideal place for these sharks to be uh of there and pick up your bait? Well, that's a great question. And uh, through after doing this for 13 years, one of the major things you have to, to know about fishing from the beach is you have to be able to read the water. Find out where the trough is because they're not going to be hanging out on the sandbar. 
So if you throw your bait on the sandbar, it'll come back eaten up by crabs. So what are you looking for as far as uh, structure out there? I'm looking for the wave breaks. So where a wave is breaking, that means it's hitting a sandbar. So I either want to be able to cast over that wave break or in front of it where the water becomes flat. I've seen this in movies. I wonder if it's real. Do you ever see a wave that comes up and it starts to break? You actually see a shark in the wave? Yes, that is more common than not. Ah, that would be something. All right. I am going to maybe make you a little defensive here, Captain, but go for it. There are some municipalities that have that are preventing people trying to catch sharks in the surf there because they say that lures the sharks in and that causes more people to be in danger. What's your response to that? My response would be the same as the other night. The sharks have been here for 450 million years. We haven't. They've always been here. But it's not the fishermen that are bringing sharks closer to shore. Now, for example, and many people have seen this on Facebook, YouTube, just the news in general, somebody's out on a boat and they're bringing in this big, beautiful wahoo, and all of a sudden a shark comes out of nowhere and bites it in half. Mm -hmm. So the sharks are always around. So if you're on land and just say you're just regular surf fishing and you're using a live mullet. The principle is still the same. If they were to ban shark fishing, they would have to ban regular fishing because that still lures sharks in as well if that's the case. But it truly is not because sharks are, a lot of them are territorial. They stay in one area and they patrol that area. So uh, years ago, we caught a nine-foot tiger shark on a finger mullet. That's what somebody would normally use to catch a bluefish or a red. That's my uh, defense on that when it comes to sharks coming in. I mean, there's no other way to explain it besides they've always been here anyway. Well, I uh, talked to some people the other night, the one rather small lady who went out fishing with you and had a great time. So you must be protecting them from the harsher elements of all of this. Correct. So when the shark gets on, my wife will come up behind you. She'll put the fighting belt on. I'll get the rod out of the rod holder. I'll get the drag set correctly. My final words to you are going to be, hang on, but I don't leave you. I sit there and coach you on reeling down and pulling up. Now, as the shark, we try to get the shark in as fast as we can. That way it does not get tired. When the shark comes up close to the shore, I'll walk out, I'll grab the leader, I'll pull the shark up in a safe area that's safe for him and safe for me, get the hook out, get it tagged, and if it's not a protected species, I'll have the clients come in for a quick picture. Now, we have what we call a two-minute warning because most people I know can't hold their breath for two minutes. So how do you think the shark feels being out of the water that long? We try to get it done in two minutes or less and get that shark back out safely. We catch 150 to 200 sharks a year, and we've never had one of our sharks wash up dead on the beach. Now, you also personalize this, which is something I think is really interesting. You tag that shark, don't you? Correct. So we tag for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is a big part of the federal government. 
They are manual tags. It is a dart tag with a number on it. So if that shark is ever recaptured and reported, I will get notified by the administration that one of the sharks I tagged, I tagged it here, it was this big then, it was recaptured here, and it's gotten this much bigger, been out to sea this many days, and whatnot. And what I do is I go back to that tag number in my files, and I look to see who the angler was on that shark. And then I get hmm. their, the phone number I have on file for them, and I say, hey, remember me? Guess what? Here's the phone call I told you you might get. Your shark's been recaptured in Georgia. Where do I send you your hat? Noah uh-huh. will send you a, yes, Noah will send you a thank you, a, a shark tagging program hat. Thank you for participating. And I send the paperwork and the hat to the client because in my eyes, that shark is theirs. They're the ones that brought it in. The tags are just issued to me. Well, wow, that's pretty neat. Now, on these sharks, you bring them up, identify them, size them, and tag them, picture, release, two minutes. So that's a pretty fast process. Does your wife shoot the pictures? Yes. And Shell is her name. She seems to be your your business manager and, and your promoter. <laughs> uh, she does a fine job of this, doesn't she? Well, yes, she does. Thank you very much for that. I mean, without her in my corner on this, this business would have never been possible. If it weren't for having two people, I'd think that what you do would be very challenging. It becomes very dangerous. But you keep the client away from the danger. I mean, the hook, the shark's bite, uh, the surf, uh, the client is placed in a position to succeed, not to be injured. And they never have to get their feet wet, most of the time. Uh, Yeah. What kind of sharks do you catch mostly? Where in Florida is your base? Okay, we are based in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, which is on the East Coast, which is just south of Daytona. Atlantic Ocean. Atlantic side, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as sharks are concerned in Florida, there are 27 species that are well-known. Some are in the deeper water, and there are some more in where I cast. So we're from surf-based fishing standpoint, you're going to average, you're going to come into contact with about 10 different species. Your black tips, your lemons, your fine tooth, your black nose, your bulls, your tigers, your hammerheads, your sharp nose, your nurse sharks. Those are pretty much the species that you're going to encounter casting from the surf. You are not going to hook into a great white. Really? Why not? Well, they're more of a deep water shark, and I don't want to have anything to do with them in the first place. Well, yeah, I could see that. You know, I was reading a, a rather authoritative article the other day on people being bitten by sharks. It said the people are inherently scared to death of sharks. I mean, that's why the, the movie Jaws did so well. It was mm-hmm. a horror movie in its own way. But in the case of drones... And so many drones flying, they're seeing what we haven't seen before. And that is right down on top of swimmers and others. And there are sharks around them that they never know about. Do you buy that? I know that's true. Anytime you're out in the water, you're typically always within 10, 15 foot of a shark. But that doesn't mean the shark wants to bite you. You're within 15 feet of a shark. Holy mackerel. Mm -hmm. Um, 
just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, huh? Well, well, due to the movie Jaws, which was actually based on a story that was from a bull shark, but a great white made the movie much better. Um, sharks are always have always been around. They've always been around people, so it's nothing new. So we're we not just, their favorite food, but if you were out there and you cut yourself or something like that, I've heard that that would draw them in. Is that a true statement? No, that is actually false. So, and just to clear up, uh, you know, a few misconceptions, they say that, uh, so I'm casting bait from the shore while I'm drawing sharks in because they could smell a drop of blood a mile away. That's false. A shark can smell blood in the water within 100 yards, not a mile. So that means the shark already has to be in the area. Mm-hmm. Second, sharks, um, for the, our, our native species that we have in uh, the Atlantic Ocean on the beach area, they're not attracted to human blood. They're attracted to what nobody tells people before you go in the water. Take off your jewelry, your watches, your rings, your earrings. Uh, stay away from the colors of yellow and green because those are colors that attract the sharks. Anything that attracts, they want to investigate. Take off your glittery nail polish. Anything that sparkles, they want to check you out. And guess what? As if we would in a grocery store, we look at a new item, what do we do? Well, we pick it up. Well, you do something to attract the shark, he doesn't have hands. So he has to pick you up with his teeth to find out what you are, even though his sample of you is painful, he's not going to eat you. We've never had a shark death on the east coast of Florida in the New Smyrna area, ever. Mm, wow. Well, in the case of uh, the sharks themselves out there, do you consider them to be just kind of the garbage collectors of the ocean? Will they eat literally anything? Uh, more of your, your bull sharks, your tiger sharks, they're not picky about what they eat. Your hammerheads, on the other hand, they love their stingrays and they love their black tips. Your bonnethead sharks, they love their shrimp and their crabs. Hence why they're also called a shovelhead because they dig the crabs up out of the sand to eat them. In that retrospect, yeah, they do have a, some of them have a certain diet. I got that. Humans are not on their diet, but if you were to eat a shark, and I know you catch and release, but I also think you're a, a real person. Mm-hmm. It, some of these, um, are they better eating than others? Well, as I said at the meeting the other night, if I were to eat any shark, it's going to be a bonnet head because they would have the best diet. They're not eating license plates and Goodyear tires. I hear that a shark's stomach has acid in it that's so strong, if it swallows something metal, it actually dissolves. Uh, well, that would take... Lots and lots of time. They have cut open many sharks, and that stuff has dumped out. Who knows how long it had been sitting in there. My guest is Captain Dustin Smith. He is a shark hunter, and he does this commercially. You could be his client uh, morning or night, I understand. And, you know, you are ruining all of the concepts I had about sharks. But on the other hand... I admire the fact that they have survived for, you said, 450 million years, uh, 
and are continuing to be in the ocean. But I, I've also heard something else, that because of uh, hunting for shark fins that are an Asian delicacy, the number of sharks in the world has dropped significantly, and some ecologists are concerned about that. What about you? Uh, as well, they should be. Now, that concern is also in the Asian area. But so the average shark attack death per year per capita is anywhere from five to 10 humans that get killed by a shark a year. Uh, the Asian per capita for their shark fin soup is 270 million to 300 million sharks a year that they kill for the fins alone. They don't even use the rest of the body as food. They just drop it down as a log. That sounds uh, terribly inefficient, if nothing else. We've had this problem, Dustin, of believing that the resources of the ocean were unlimited. No matter how much we wanted to catch and take, the ocean could replenish that. We found that's not true. So is the same situation going on in sharks right now? Uh, well, not from my standpoint for what I do, but uh, the, I guess uh, in retrospect looking at that, I would have to say the decrease in the shark population also balances out to the decrease in the food population. We have more unregulated commercial fishing in the world than we've ever had. So what you're saying is the sharks don't have the food because of the commercial fishing, and that would limit their population. Well, that and, you know, them being taken for their fins. Tell me one other thing. Uh, you bring the shark in, you try to get it to go back out and, uh, and just resume its uh, feeding and its life with a little tag in it in case somebody else catches it, and that's all that happens. So do you have a certain type of hook that you use. Our avid fishermen may be into this. Are there different types of hooks that will make it to where when you hook a shark, you do less damage to it? Correct. Well, so as you actually brought up earlier, the, the municipalities that are trying to ban land-based shark fishing, this went on in 2018 between every beach county, the fishermen and the residents. So in order to find a happy medium, in order to shark fish, you have to take the FWC Shark Smart Permit course. And therein are regulations on what you can actually use for shark fishing. Your shark has to be non-stainless. It has to be a circle hook. They recommend you either file off or crimp down the barbs. So therefore, if your line does break, that hook can eventually rust out of the shark's mouth. How about the leader? Do you use that big, heavy steel leader? No, I am against wire. I use 800-pound mono. As I shared the other night, I don't care who makes your braided line. Everybody's lines break at some time. So if that shark takes off with a wire leader hanging out of his mouth and he goes into a wreck or a reef to hunt, that wire will get wrapped around something and get tied up, and it will drown the shark. With the mono leader I have, it will never get wrapped up. will eventually break off due to frailty, so it's much safer on the shark if that does happen. 
you honestly care about the sharks. Yes. Uh, you care about the customers. You care about the sharks. Your wife cares about you. Seems like a pretty caring operation. Actually, I think she cares about the sharks more than she cares about me. <laughs> well, but so when uh, I said day or night, do you find that sharks bite better at night than during the day? No, I. Uh, it doesn't matter. I believe sharks are more like people because of the 13 years I've been land-based shark fishing, what I've noticed is they don't care if it's high tide or low tide, full moon or no moon, rain or shine, December or August, two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the afternoon. If they're hungry, they're gonna eat. It's just, I only run daytime charters October up until March because that's when people are not in the water during the day. I don't fish around people that are in the water. That's why majority of my charters are always at nighttime. What months are you there during the day? Uh, we start our morning charters October 1st, and they end February 28th. Because come March, the northerners come down when the water's warm, and they're in the water. So I'm not going to be fishing next to them. When you are fishing and somebody comes up to you, do you tend to discourage them, or can you ask them to move, or... Or do they? Do you have to quit? Well, there is no law on that I have to move or I have to quit, anything of that nature. I do share with them, though, if I was there first, I just want to let you guys know we are shark fishing, and this is a big beach. So if you wouldn't mind at least staying within, you know, 50 yards away from us. And very few people, you know, scoffed at that. They're more appreciative of Oh, you're shark fishing? We can't wait to see one. Yeah, we'll go down, no problem. Do you also get on a beach in an area that's less swimmable? You know, you were talking about the waves breaking or um, perhaps having a uh, draft of water going back in. Are you in an area like that, or are you kind of pick where you think the best is for the day? Okay, that's a great question. Now, when I picked my locations that I have, and due to the fact that I bring out families with small children and whatnot, the most important thing from the get-go was having public restrooms. <laughs> so that already narrowed down to where I could go in the first place. Then it came to the beach conditions. Is it a beach where there's going to be a lot of people swimming, or is this off the beaten path that people are not going to be swimming there? So that was the next way I picked my locations. So you just keep working through to find places. How much do you move along the beach there? How far up and down the beach do you generally range? I don't. So I have, let's say, my New Smyrna location. We go to that location, and that's where we set up. That's where we stay. The customers that have been with me for five years, they know, they know the same spot we go to every single time. Um, yeah. What about the people that are in the group uh how many is the maximum you would have okay well the maximum i will take out myself with my wife is four people which i've had many times you know bachelor parties whatnot and if i'm going to have eight or ten people fishing then i will call upon my other guys that run other locations mm -hmm. and they will join and they will bring their gear once again, safety is always the most biggest priority we have in this, so I wouldn't even attempt it by myself. Now, do you have it, say you're four people, do you do a rotation? 
whenever the next line spins, uh, starts clicking, that the next person up gets it? Oh, great question. So we do not we do not assign rods because one rod could be getting all the action all day or all night, and the other two never even get touched. So what we do is we either have them play, play paper, rock, scissors, or arm wrestle, or whatever they want to do, but they have to pick a batting order of who's first, who's second, who's third. So then you rotate them through. And yeah. uh, well, So tell me about an experience. This little woman, for example, she Andrea. said she pulled on that for 15 minutes and finally just wore herself completely out. So how do you make it to where that, People can succeed even if they run out of energy pulling that shark in. She handed it off to her husband, John. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he so, took it from there. So when we have, you know, two or three people, one person gets tired, we give it to the next person. Everybody would get a shot at it. Because I can't guarantee how many sharks we're going to catch that day. Mm-hmm. We might catch one. We might catch, you know, five, six, seven. But... Yeah. Just for that prime example, she got worn out. She gave it to her husband. He brought it r- real close to shore, and she took over after that. Do you catch uh, other species? Do you catch anything else besides sharks? As far as when I'm shark fishing on a shark rod, very, very rarely. The only other species in our area that is going to jump on a shark rod with that size of hook and that size of bait is going to be a monster stingray. And when I say monster, we're talking 100 pounds plus. Or a tarpon. Tarpons are really hard-mouthed, aren't they? Correct. And you will not hook one with the hooks we use. It is, it's too big of a hook, and their mouth is too bony. Huh. So he'll grab that bait, he'll run and jump out of the water and <laughs> spit the hook. They put on a pretty good show for you. That's a fact. What about that stingray? How do they react? They're going to grab that thing and head straight for Europe as fast as they can. (laughs) And then once they feel you put pressure on the line Mm -hmm. and then they know that they're hooked, they're going to suck themselves to the bottom of the ocean floor and you're going to sit there and work on that thing for the next four or five hours until I finally say, you done yet? And have to cut the line. (laughs) But thank goodness that very rarely happens because you can't, you can't get those things up off the floor once the once they've sucked themselves down. Quick story for you. We went down uh, off the Keys and uh, had a charter boat with my uh, daughter and her family. And uh, she was the next one up, and she hooked into a fish and pulled and pulled and pulled. And it was about 12 feet of water, according to the captain. And he said, well, you've probably got a grouper. And he said, you can't bring it in the boat. He said, we will pull it up to where we can identify it we're going to cut the line. And out of the water, finally, came this big bill with teeth on the outside of it. And then this fish splashed, and it was a sawfish about 12 feet long. Wow. And he cut the line. He said he picked up about 20 of them a year. There's apparently a Florida sawfish. I didn't know that. And uh, he said about 20 a year he'll hook, but you cannot bring them in the boat uh, but we did get a look at it, which was pretty impressive. Yes, the sawfish, they're an endangered species. They are on the FWC list where if you catch one, you need to call FWC immediately so they know the location of where you caught it. You are not to even attempt to remove the hook according to the laws. Just mm-hmm. cut the line and let it loose. 
you know, that's basically what he did. I don't know if he mm-hmm. called in or not, but he, he did get rid of it. But it was an exciting half hour uh, until we finally saw that fish. Yeah, I have well, not Captain, had the opportunity of one of those yet. Captain, thank you very much for talking with us. It's been most interesting. Let's make sure people know who you are and where you are. You've got a website, and let me see if I can read it here, www.nsbsharkhunters.com. What does that is NSB correct. stand for? New Smyrna Beach, or in redneck terms, another shark bite. <laughs> so another shark bite with an N, <laughs> sharkhunters.com. And you and Shell run this operation. And would you advise people to come see you from October until February, because that's the best time? I advise people to come see me year-round because there is no good month or bad month for sharks. They're always here. As the water temperature changes, just the types of sharks that come in and go out change. At this point in time, how much do you charge for a charter per person? A single person is just is one ninety nine for five hours. If it is two or more, the price drops to a hundred and fifty per person. If two of you came down, it'd be three hundred bucks. Anything yep. else besides that, as far as bait or any other charges? Nope. We cover everything. We bring the chairs. We have the rods, the reels, the tackle. We bring bottled water. It's the client's job to sit back, relax, do the same thing you're doing, and ask me as many questions as they can come up with. I love it. And get ready to hang on tight. And they have to pass that uh, that test first as well. Correct. Anybody that comes out fishing with me from the beach, they have to take that course, which is available on the website. There's a link for it. And they also have to have a fishing license. Now, my captain's license only applies to when you are on a vessel. So if you're on the beach, you have to have a Florida uh, fishing license. If you're in state, uh, it's just the shore-based license, which is free. And if you're under the age of 65, it's still free, but you have to have it. 65 and older, Florida resident, you just have to have your ID. Out of state, uh, the, the three-day fishing license is only 17 bucks per person. And that link is also on our website. And the website is? NSB Shark Hunters with an S dot com. It has been a pleasure talking to you, Captain Dustin, and I, I wish you well in the uh, coming months and years. It, I believe you and your wife have an excellent operation. Well, thank you so much, Ken, and really appreciate you having us on this morning. And anytime you need some input, you know how to get a hold of me. Thanks for listening to People in the Know. I'm on the hunt for guests to interview. If you have suggestions, contact me at this email address, kenroot at gmail.com, K-E-N-R-O-O-T at gmail.com. Have a great week.